no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a off. How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I have hope for the swag bag. Shrek, when you got three crevices on the green, your course is trashy. What's going on, folks? Welcome back. Beltway Golfer, episode 35. Alex Dixon here. So, 35 episodes in, we've had a handful of PGA teaching pros on the show so far. John Eisman, uh, Mark Russo, John Scott Rattan, Bob Dolan. Um, today's guest, Erica Larkin, uh, out at the club at Creighton Farms, is the, not only the first uh, female PGA teaching professional that we've had on the show. Um, but she is ranked number one in the state of Virginia by golf digest, but uh, voted amongst her or voted by her peers. Um, and has so ever since 2014, she has been the number one teaching pro, uh, each time they do the vote since incredibly impressive. And what's really cool is she is now on the staff as a, as a teaching professional for golf digest. And in fact, when we uh, did this interview on a Monday morning, uh, that Saturday I opened up my mailbox and on the current issue of Golf Digest, uh, with Brooks Kepka on the, on the cover, on newsstands right now, open it up right in the middle, uh, you got eight pages of Erica giving you tips and tricks and, and lessons and, um, you know, uh, she says her, her biggest um, spread in, in Golf Digest to date, uh, so super impressive and, and timely. Uh, it was really cool to, to kind of get to know Erica, uh, her background being from New York, but coming down here for college to, to Harrisonburg and JMU and kind of uh, migrating up to Northern Virginia where she's been ever since, and <clears throat> working at, at several clo uh, clubs as her um, teaching uh, career has, has really blossomed. And now she's, you know, kind of everywhere on social media. She's got a huge following on YouTube, on Instagram, I'm sure on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, she's... She's a big deal, Erica Larkin. So here it is. We'll get to it. Episode 35, Beltway Golfer Podcast, Erica Larkin from the club at Creighton Farms and now Golf Digest. Enjoy. Erica Larkin, thank you for joining me. Before we get into introductions, before we get into anything, I want to start off by congratulating you right here. This was, what is today? Today's Monday. Gosh, I don't even know the date. September 26th, 27th. Yeah. And yesterday I opened up my mailbox. It's the latest issue of Golf Digest with Brooks Kepka on the front. And right inside is like an eight, what is it, eight page spread? Yeah, it's it, it was amazing that they gave me eight pages. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely thrilled about it for sure. It's a, the biggest feature I've ever had in probably any magazine, but let alone Golf Digest. It's definitely a great, great honor, great, great kickstart to my relationship with them. So, so what is that? I mean, what you, so, so the real quick, the, the introduction, Erica Larkin, you are, what is your, you, you're, you're at Creighton Farms. Or what is what is your official yeah. title? I am the director of instruction at Creighton Farms. And I uh, also do a lot of golf content on the side. <laughs> I'm involved as now a official Golf Digest teaching professional. So I'm actually on the masthead. I have a contract with them for the next few years to provide regular, regular content, be a contributing um, member of their staff, 
as the teaching professional and, and on the golf instruction side. So you'll be seeing me more in their digital stuff and then in print. Uh, that was one big feature piece. They'll hopefully be another one next year. But in between that, they'll sprinkle me in a little bit here and there. So kind of waiting on my next assignments from them. But uh, there is more in the queue that we did film. And I'm in, I have a Golf Digest schools thing that's finally being launched. So you'll definitely see me more affiliated with Golf Digest. Uh, it seems like a big deal. Great. It's a big deal because uh, if you look at the masthead, I'm next to like Jim McLean, Butch Harmon, you know, all the big names, which is wild. So that's the, that's the, actually the part I'm the most proud about is to be in those, the company of those guys. That's right, right there. So they, so there's there's a team of instructors and teachers, but these are like household names that you're not about. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's wild. So I was on the best young teachers list as long as I could be. And then I turned 40, they kicked me off. Um, but, <laughs> uh, it, that was great. And all the while they definitely recruited me to do some content here and there. I I've had a couple short articles and tips in the magazine over the last 10 years, but this is by far now a, for, a more formal relationship and, and a bigger commitment from both parties to do more together. So I'm definitely super excited to work with the team and, you know, discovery network it is, is golf digest now. And so there's a lot more um, opportunity in the future to collaborate probably beyond what even Golf Digest will do, which is what's exciting to me. So hopefully if the next couple of years go well, we'll see where things lead, you know? Is one of, because we're going to get into a a bunch of it, but one of the big things um, that you're well known for and people probably know your face is you're all all over social media with with these fun videos. You call it golf edutainment. I would imagine somebody at Golf Digest probably had to say, listen, some of these some of these really famous old guys we have on staff, they're maybe lagging behind a little bit on on the Internet <laughs> and social media. Let's get, you know, Erica's out there everywhere. And that's that's got to be a big you know, advantage for you. That that definitely helped me get their attention a little bit more. I, you know, I've been consistent on social for the last three years and over the last year, a lot of opportunities have popped up and people come knocking on my door now, which has been great, you know, kind of flips the switch. I've been always pitching ideas out there in the world and trying to do my own best networking uh, to try and promote myself. But it's, it's finally kind of flipped and uh, I'm, I'm having opportunities find me now, which is great. So all the hard work is starting to pay off and uh, golf digest approaching me is definitely correlated to the growth that I've had on social. I think they definitely wanted somebody that had a presence. Um, not that I'm super young, but younger female, you know, all the, all the things that are hitting part of the, the demographics that they probably want to grow. Do they have other so, female instructors on their, on their staff? Uh, I think the only other one is Renee Powell. Okay. Uh, sure. I don't know that she's super active, but uh, she is out in the, uh, I think Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And she's a great lady in the game of golf, um, but she's not super social, social act, you know, active on social media. So I, I think that they brought on Mark Blackburn as well, who's a young coach, younger coach, PGA Tour coach, has a bunch of players now that he works with, and he's he's pretty active on social. So I think you know the regime is is starting to not change, but you're starting to see that next generation of coaches be a little bit more engaged by some of these outlets because it's inevitable, you know, you're going to have those legends. They're always going to be there, but, uh, but Herman eventually like is going to retire. Oh, <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. And, and so I love, I love it that I'm in their company 
for now. And I, I don't know what their, you know, plan is down the road, but I, I assume that uh, as long as those guys will be willing to contribute, they'll probably keep, keep taking yeah. it. But um, you know, so I'm happy to be part of that, maybe new generation of coaches. Absolutely. Well, that's very exciting. Congratulations. That was really, Thank really you. cool to see that. I was like, wow, I'm having her on the podcast tomorrow. Here's <laughs> um, Thank you. And then, but also, do I have this right? You know, I I don't I don't follow it so closely that I know every single year, but I know that you are currently uh, ranked number one golf teacher in the entire state of Virginia. Have you been ranked number one since 2014? Yeah, I know it's wild. That is wild. That's like seven seven, eight years in a row. They do that list every other year, but every time they've put it out, I've I've been able to continue to be at the top of that list and. You know, that's an interesting list because it actually is peer vote. Um, they send out a ballot. It's not just editorial. Uh, been really nice to be recognized by my fellow coaches, both in state and, and out of state. People can nominate you as well. Uh, there's different parts of the ballot. They ask you to write in people's names. So even when I fill out my ballot, like I'm recognizing those coaches within Virginia that I'm I'd like to see be recognized as well. And then we have to rank, rank our names. And then we can also vote out of state. And then they also do the top 50 list. Golf Digest does top 50. So of the of the coaches that you that are on the top 50 ballot, you have to choose the ones that you want to see on the list and then also rank your top, I think, 20 or something. So there actually is a legitimate voting process. And uh to be on the ballot is huge, but then also to be even given a ballot is a big deal. And so for me, that all started happening, you know, I guess it was about 10 years ago, I started in the being in the ballot process. And within the second or so cycle of that, I, I was recognized, I couldn't, I sort of couldn't believe it at that point. And now it's, it's just great to have it on repeat. So yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful. How does that work? So as someone like myself, who's like just totally unfamiliar with the world of, you know, golf yeah. instruction, you know, I, I take a few lessons here, but not nearly as much as I, as I should, but like, how do like, so that first year, like 2014, like how do, how do other instructors and teachers, since it's peer voted throughout the state mm-hmm. of Virginia, like how do they, obviously you're huge on social media now, yeah. were you in 2014? Like, how does everybody else even know about you to vote you? Uh, Well, I, I was always trying to, put my name out there as best I could for whatever the time was. So for example, back in say 2012, I sprinkled a little bit of stuff on YouTube, but I was always active in the section, meaning, you know, I I was at all the meetings. I was at all the seminars. I was asked to do some presentations. Like I got in front of my peers and shared my ideas and uh, volunteered at section events and shared what I was doing, best practices, you know, so I was in PJ magazine and little, little articles here and there. So I, even though I wasn't heavy on social in those years, my, my colleagues knew that I was working hard and what I was doing. And I, they knew I was having success at the ground level because my programs where I was at the time, which was Stonewall golf club in those years were really growing. And I was, I had staff that I brought on with me and I was recognized as teacher of the year in the section. And again, all of these things sort of build on each other. And so when you start to get people's attention that you're doing a lot of things and you're doing well and you're growing and having success that it, it, it just builds, you know? So from there, um, I, I had made the change at, at one point and moved from Stonewall to Creighton. That was uh, 2016. And I 
made that change. And within that next, over the course of that next year, I completed, I wrote a book. And so that book I self-published in 2017. And then my thought was too, to help myself promote this book that I just spent a year and a half of my life putting together, I needed to self-promote this, this product. And that's really when I got more into social and active on Instagram and made more YouTube videos to explain the concepts in the book and all the things. So uh, having the book out there, promoting that, other coaches reading my book and seeing what it is that I'm about, because you know who has time to go shadow a million coaches? Nobody's coming in necessarily and watching me teach live, although a few people have, but mm-hmm. you know that kind of ability to have access to what you're like as a teacher, what you believe in, how you explain things, I think that brought in some also not only credibility, but accessibility for other people to get to know me better. So I I have no problem sharing everything. I think the more you give, the more you receive. So I I don't like hold on to my best stuff. I mean, I'm letting it all out there. (laughs) There's enough stuff out there. Absolutely. That's great policy. And and, um, use it or at least, you know, if you like it and it's mine and it's my original stuff, give me credit, but like use it. Sure. Um, when, I want you to help your students too with the information. So absolutely. Uh, and the book is called A True Swing. But let's let's yeah. be, we're gonna let's get to that. But let's let's back up a couple steps and how we got to. You mentioned Stonewall, making the transition mm-hmm. from Stonewall to, to to Creighton Farms and writing the book. Let's back up a little bit. So you so, so back to the beginning. So you're yeah you're you're a, you're a New York girl. You're from Queens. I am. Got your start. We're, we're going to the way way back time. Let's go way, well, just, let's do just a real, a real, <laughs> a real brief. Let's go from okay. from New York to JMU real quick. Okay, so I grew up in Queens, New York. My parents were not golfers, and they decided they wanted to try golf. And we went to Pitch and Putt in Flushing Meadow Park and tried golf. And two years later, we played real golf, and uh, I got involved in junior tournaments in the Met section. And uh, eventually found a mentor that told me I should play golf in college and helped me with that process. And I was able to get a partial scholarship to James Madison University. Nice. So I went down south and uh, kind of never went home. I, I stayed in Northern Virginia after graduation. I had an okay college career playing. I sort of, uh, I don't think I ever really reached my potential as a player. Because I didn't, was, I was pretty much self-taught. <laughs> okay, was was the JMU was JMU golf? I don't know much about JMU golf, but golf in Harrisonburg yeah. was was were they pretty competitive? We were we were Division One, but in from ninety eight to 02, which was the years I was in school, we really were not in a competitive conference. Uh, we ha- hardly had a CAA girls golf conference, so we would just play. We we actually didn't have we didn't have enough teams in the CAA to really have our own our own championship to get a bid to like nationals or anything. So we would go up and play UCACs and we would drive down South and we'd like play a bunch of nice tournaments, but the program was just, um, it has grown a lot since I'll say it that way. And uh, our facilities were, were good, but not great. Our coaching was good. um, But we also had a coach that was only in his second year teaching women's golf, you know, coaching women. There was a lot of transition happening and, it's really, uh, uh, there's no, no, I'm not pointing fingers or anything like that, but I think I went down there, the program uh, went through a lot of changes and uh, I'm happy to say that now they're a legit D1 program and a great conference and they have had a lot of success the last uh, five years or more, you know, really elevating their, their women's golf program and yeah. making a name for themselves. 
So what, what was your home course? Lakeview. Well, Stanton, the first year, which was a drive down the highway and it was sort of a interesting commute all the time. And then we finally played more uh, at Lakeview my other three years. And then a little bit at Spotswood. Once in a while, we drive down to Massanutten. So those were our main courses. Lakeview was like 90% of the time though. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So Um, it was a great experience. I love JMU, but I left school knowing that I wasn't going to take golf, playing golf to the next level, but I wanted to be around golf. So the uh, next part of the story is that I, I got a job in a management company called American Golf. And I was actually in a sales and marketing role for about a year until a colleague of mine said, you should, I I need some help teaching these classes that are going on at the course here. Do you want to help me? And I said, sure, I'll teach a beginner class. I know enough to do that and help you out and make some extra bucks. And that was sort of like the pivotal moment for me to recognize that I actually really loved teaching and coaching. I was having fun doing it. I was, um, going sort of above and beyond what was just this little extra money to like do more for these students and like get, you know, create handouts and like get creative. And uh, so anyway, I, I decided to take my PAT and make a move into a, a country club setting instead of where I had been working and then go through my entire PGA program. And so I moved to international country club around that time, got a job with Tom Melodeo, who's still there as a head pro. And uh, that was a great six years of being an assistant professional and then a first assistant and then moving hundred percent into teaching. And all the while I like ran the junior programs and the ladies programs and all the stuff, all the, all the things teaching there, I really got my hands around program management and um, marketing myself, certainly within the club setting and then starting to really grow outside the club. And I was bringing in quite a few students that were were non-members, which was, which was great because I felt like I was really growing. And I got to the point where it was sort of time to move on because I had a lot of interest from outside the club. And so that's, that's around the time that my husband and I moved to Gainesville. Uh, we had a, uh, one son and, and I have a daughter now too, but we're growing our family and it just made sense for me to make a move uh, out where we were living. And so when, that's when, when I went say, to Stonewall. Sorry, but when you say you had a lot of interest outside the club, meaning you had a lot of people that wanted to take lessons, but maybe yeah. they couldn't because they weren't members. Is that what you mean? It's just, you know, when you're at a private club, it's always this balance between teaching members hmm. and then the amount of guests that you, that you may or may not be able to teach. Some clubs have stricter policies. Um, they necessarily, they, they didn't necessarily completely limit how many guests I could teach, but the ratio was becoming pretty apparent that I was getting more and more interest from guests. And I wanted to give myself the ability to grow more. And I started freelancing at some other clubs and finally made the transition to where I fully, fully moved away from international country club. And then I took, I, I got a contract at Stonewall to run all the teaching at that facility. So that was perfect. Geographically, it was right near my house. And and then I spent the next six years there, and that's where I had several people working with me, for me. Um, we grew a lot of junior programs, and then I got heavily into networking myself in the local communities, all the you know, B&I groups and the women's leadership groups and the Chamber of Commerce groups and all, this, all the local things that I could do to just put my name out there in the 25-mile radius around Gainesville and Haymarket. And I had the 
magnet on the side of my van and I had the signs out on the road and I had all the flyers at Stonewall for, you know, any wedding traffic that was coming through, like golf instruction, golf instruction, kids programs, bringing their classes, all, all the things. So I did great because, you know, at a, as a public facility goes, they have a, they had a lot of traffic and it's a nice high end semi private club. And, um, it was, it was awesome. It was a perfect fit for me to grow and uh, learn how to manage staff and how to handle volume. And, you know, we, we were almost outgrowing the facility. We would take over the putting green, the chipping area, like every afternoon with all these classes we had going on. So it was great. It was, it was a really great time. And, uh, I, I can say that between all of that and then having a young family at home and, just trying to run like the business side of things, I actually sort of got to a point where I was a little bit overwhelmed. And so um, and when it was time to move on from Stonewall, I made a pretty significant switch to, to go back into private. And uh, I decided that it was time for me to like cut back on grinding the volume and I wanted to do other things so I could grow more professionally. And so I actually went back to the private setting at a great, great timing to go, to go into uh, Creighton Farms, which is an amazing facility. This was what the amenities year? are beautiful. This was 2016. Okay. So uh, yeah, I had three main stops, you know, international, then Stonewall and, and Creighton's been, been the most recent one. And it's already been six years there now. So time flies and uh, they've been great. The, the nice part about Creighton is that even though it is a really high end private club, when I came on board, the membership is sort of small. And because of that, it was big enough. They knew they wanted to have somebody dedicated to teaching, but it, the membership wasn't big enough they, that they could tell me to be exclusive in terms of only teaching members. So it was perfect in that I, I was able to, um, get the best of both worlds, be sure. it an amazing private club, but also not really have a limitation on who I could teach and who I could bring in as guests and non-members, as long as I upheld the ability to service the membership and provide programming and, and make sure that I accommodate the members when they, they want a lesson. So I'm still finding that balance because yeah. it's busy on both ends and our club has grown a lot. So the more members have joined and the more families have joined and everything is growing. It's been super busy the last year or two as we've grown as a club. And then as I've grown outside the club, like it's, I'm, max, I'm, I'm maxed out. I'm sold out. Going on your website, like a lot of the different kind of uh, lessons and classes that you offer, a lot of them are like kind of group classes, but they're on their web, your website. So I'd imagine a lot of the people that are signing up for that are not necessarily members, right? Um, I offer everything to my membership sort of first and then hope that they they have the, the dates in advance. If they want to sign up, they sign up. And then obviously any open spots are are open to anybody that wants to join. I do do uh, regular classes for groups, uh, primarily for adults. A lot of our junior stuff is really just in-house. Um, you know, junior stuff takes a lot of staff. <laughs> and um, we have a good a good core group now of juniors that are involved in our programming, and that's kind of all about what we can handle with our with our facility and our logistics there. So when it comes to junior golf, I'm primarily delivering private lessons if it is a guest. Um, and in terms of our membership, I'm managing our staff now to run our programs, which uh, I had been doing hands on for the last five years. This is sort of the first year I've. I've given that responsibility more to the uh, the other assistants at the club and um, helping them, 
you know, oversee what's going on. So we have, we're, everything's great at Creighton. We're almost ready to have a learning center open very, very soon. We're like weeks away after several years of planning and construction. So I'm very excited about that as a nice um, opportunity to be able to teach on site through the winter with technology and and all. So, yeah. And does that mean that you'll be doing your fun videos indoors? So like everybody's not watching you on the range doing all these, all these. Yeah. I'll have a set. I'll have a set that I can (laughs) use anytime. That's great. Open up in a few weeks. Congratulations. That's that's, that's Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, my indoor spot before this point in time, I had been um, renting some space from Steve Winpetron at his studio in Chantilly. He calls the SW Golf Academy, and he's been a great host to me and allowed me to come in and teach my students there just to have a place to call home in the winter. And so um, I'm very thankful to him. But uh, hopefully this will be the first year that I, I'll i be in my own space, and um, it's going to be great. So I'm very excited about that. So a little bit kind of on your um, kind of just your methodology and a lot of in there's a couple of the other interviews I've listened to you and, and, and on your website and, and certainly a, a lot in your book, A Tree Swing, you credit uh, Ernest Jones and, and Swing the Clubhead, which is mm-hmm. a book I was familiar with. I haven't read, but I, I, I think I understand the kind of the, one of the yeah. main kind of premise. But can you talk a little bit about yeah. how that book has kind of influenced your sure. teaching philosophy? Yeah, Ernest Jones, 1937, a guy I never met, but but um, it was a book recommended to me when I was like 13 that I should read by a, a coach that mentored me as I was growing up. And so that was sort of one of the fundamental books that really resonated with me in terms of feeling the swing and what I should be experiencing. And, and, um, And so that really just stuck with me as a player over the years. And then when it came time for me to become a coach, it was an easy place to start because I just knew that, that theme so well. And, um, the more I learned as a young coach and the more technology came into the picture, I feel like, you know, I was, I was very much enamored by all the new stuff that later on, as I digested everything and had a chance to work with new ideas. It's funny how I ended up kind of coming back full circle and revisiting some of the old stuff and trying to connect the dots between old school and new school instruction. And so that's where my brain was in uh, 2015, 2016 is, is how am I making sense of all these things that I've learned as a coach and that I've tried on the lesson T and what am I really teaching people? Is there, is there a, a consistent, you know, way that I can bring all of these ideas together and Put, put it in a, a way that that um, is easy easy for people to understand. I almost kind of wanted to try and validate the old school stuff with the new school stuff. Like that was my that was my hope that I, if I could write it out that way, that that's what would happen. And and really, that's what the book is. It's it's a it's it's simple old school themes, and I try to use the ideas that I've learned about physics and biomechanics to say that that he was pretty right. right. <laughs> he was pretty right. So um, Ernest Jones swing the club head is, is really just this simple concept that when you have a tool and you know what that tool is meant to do, that instinctively your brain maps out a way of, of moving that tool in space, just like a fork and a knife, a hammer, a screwdriver, et cetera. So that's an important kind of overwhelming theme, but then also the nature of, of being in, touch with your tool, like feeling the weight of that tool and understanding that when you swing the weight of this object, that you're also doing this kind of instinctual mental math of, 
of how to impart energy onto the ball that is ultimately we're trying to move forward. So when you think about short game or putting and the pendulum type stroke that, that he talks about and getting the club into a swinging motion, that that takes care of the timing. And that if you have a sense of swinging the weight of the club, you're aware of where it is around you at all times. And ultimately you have a sense of, of how to move that weight to accomplish what you're trying to do. So it's, it's, uh, I would imagine, I, do you, I mean, do you still think that's, that, that's still, you know, most, uh, I would imagine so many of your, of your customers and your clients and your students that come see you, uh, you mentioned this and I've, I've given, I haven't read the whole book yet. I just, I just dove into it uh, last week, but, um, is the first thing they say is how to become, or, or what they want when they come see you or any other teacher mm-hmm. is how do I get more consistent? You know, when I talk to my buddies, and we're talking about our own terrible yeah. golf games. We talk about how do we get more consistent and yeah. the whole, the whole concept versus hitting the ball versus swinging the ball. Yeah. Um, I, I like to teach golf swing and I think that um, instinctively golfers definitely try to hit at the golf ball. And so try to take away the urge to do that is about finding where the manipulation is in their, in their movement that prevents them from actually committing to this idea of swinging. So when the swing becomes a hit, then it's not a swing anymore. So where does that tension creep in or where does that uh, mental control pop in to where we feel like we have to do something? Um, I think a lot of times there's that hit instinct, but then also a lot of times when people are trying to muscle the shot, it ruins the flow of natural motion and uh, efficient motion. And so you know, again, I have a lot of different ways of describing this in the book, but the idea is that we want to try to be as, as free of, of manipulation in our swing as possible and like let the club do the work as cheesy as that sounds, um, especially through impact. If you're, if your body and your, your engine of what you're doing as you move is balanced and is facilitating a free arm swing, mm-hmm. then the body is acting so the arms and the club can react so there's a lot less that you have to do to make something happen at impact so i'm a fan of like the body kind of swinging the arms yeah and some people say that's actually not an ernest jones theme but it it actually it actually really is um and uh and so um if you read manuel del torre who is a direct like disciple of ernest jones he teaches that um as well and so it's funny because as I did more and more research over the years on Ernest and and who else teaches kind of more that way, it's funny to see everybody's version of what he's, he wrote. And so this is my version, you know, this is what, how I interpret it. And this is how I think it works the best and how I can best explain it to people to get them to move in a way that they let the club swing around them. One of the things that, that I think is clear as to why you're so popular and have so many, you know, followers and fans on, on social media and different platforms is you clearly have the knowledge and the ability to get super technical if necessary. However, the videos that videos that you make, it almost doesn't come off that way because you simplify things in such a great way that and, and almost little short, you know, bites and that are, you know, you know, uh, you know, that, that you can yeah. take away and do That's- something with where you don't get kind of lost in your head. That's my goal. Social is hard because when you have 30 seconds or a minute or less, you know, to describe something or show something, you don't always get to paint the whole picture, but it might be a little nugget that really clicks with the person that needs that. Um, And I try to make stuff 
certainly appear relatable and simple and things that somebody could try at home and not need like a lot of fancy tech, things like that. So it's, it's good to, um, to get the feedback that, you know, I'm, I'm helping people that always makes me excited. And I want people to watch it in a way where they're not intimidated to try it because the language is hopefully easy to understand or the visual was resonated with them. And, and I want to inspire people to try things yeah. in their swing and not be afraid of golf instruction. I think it can be overwhelming. It can be really technical and there is a time and a place for that. Is there, there a, is, is there a challenge? Obviously you're incredibly um, skilled at conveying the message online on video and these snippets on social media. Yeah. Uh, however, you, you're, you, you are employed by Creighton farms. You're building this, 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 um, uh, teaching center. Um, you have real people in front of you that, mm-hmm. that you are teaching. However, it, it must be, I mean, do you do online lessons? I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at yeah. is, you know, the, the future of this, it must be, there must be a balance of kind of weighing, do I, do I want to get into kind of teaching people all over the globe, like on videos and that kind of thing versus the people that are my membership, they're standing right in front of me. They're, they're Yeah. The, the in-person experience is always going to be a part of the equation for me. It's such a place where I get, I get daily inspiration from, I mean, at the end of a day or in the middle of a lesson, sometimes like the notes page on my phone is just full of ideas. And it's just the way I'll say something in a lesson. I'm like, that was really good. Write it down. Like that's a video. And I just, I just have this constant um, flow of, of like stream of consciousness as I teach. And I, I don't know, it's just like as stuff happens or as I do a drill that I hadn't used in a while, I'm like, Oh, that, that is a good drill. I can make that into a video, you know? And I don't know, it just comes to me organically. So I think that if I was to, I'm always going to want to teach in person. And and I think that that's a huge source of where a lot of my content comes from anyway. So, so for what it's worth, like that will always be a big part of, of the equation to scale myself is another thing. Like that's why I've done a lot of these different content projects is can I have digital products that I can, um, that I can sell to reach more people. That's why I wanted to write my book. Uh, and write in writing that and doing some of these things online. And I've now, you know, teamed up with digest obviously, and I've teamed up with uh, golf fanatics as another platform and I'm making things and products with them. And we're going and doing some traveling golf schools at different destinations around the country as a team. Like I am touching more people in more geographical places, whether it's virtually or in person. And I've been so far able to do it all, you know, we'll see the balance of being able to deliver in-person lessons and service the membership and then do all this other stuff. I think the club is excited to see my, my growth and my, my path. And they're happy that I'm, 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 I'm a part of them, a part of Crane Farms, you know, they're proud of me uh, and they're, they're willing to kind of give me some rope to do these different things. And um, as, as I stay affiliated with them. So I don't know. I don't know exactly. I can't predict, you know, how five years from now, what everything looks like, but I can tell you that Creighton's a great home. I'm excited for the learning center to open. That will certainly make things a lot easier for me uh, and better for my student experience as things move forward. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm just keep pushing to do all these other projects because I enjoy it. And I get excited when something new happens that I can reach new people. That's really what it kind of comes back to. Uh, I would imagine that um, golf, I mean, it's tough to tell sometimes looking on social media, but that 
golf instruction and teaching traditionally is a male dominated endeavor. Are, are there two, are there many other, um, women golf teachers that have been dominating their state rankings as, as much as <laughs> yes, you have. And, um, you know, uh, not too far from here. You're probably familiar with, uh, in Maryland, my friend, Shirley and Rose, she's a great coach. Uh, she's up there. I don't, I don't think she's number one in Maryland. She's got some stiff competition from Bernie Najar and um, a few others that are really great. I mean, there's just, they're heavily loaded in Maryland with a lot of great coaches and all those nice clubs up in the Bethesda area and Congo. And it's, it's pretty competitive. Um, but you know, she's, she's up there too. I would say she's definitely one of the top female coaches that puts herself out there and is involved in a lot of media stuff and heavily involved in the PGA um, uh, faculty and, and kind of growing things within the PGA organization from an education standpoint. So uh, yeah, she's probably the, the, the one that comes to mind first, but there's a lot of other great coaches and younger ones up and coming. I just don't know that they, they've gotten as much attention but no, no not, not not too far from you over at 1757 uh kathy kim is really she's really yeah. popular on social media and she does a great job um, she is we, we've she's pretty her. new she's pretty new to the area i think if you give kathy a few more years she'll climb the ranks because same thing she you know she works hard and she's definitely made a name for herself on social but in our section she's starting to network better and it it, it takes that like i don't think people understand it's not just about that when you, you when you you have to like get to know your fellow members and, uh, and that goes a long way with being able to elevate yourself in this industry. Do you still get, I, I, I hope the answer is no here, but do you still get people that, uh, maybe come out to whether it be Creighton farms or wherever and, and like assume that you only teach women? Sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, it's an, it's definitely an assumption that I, I teach more women and kids. I probably teach 80% men over 80%, the age of 40. Wow. Yeah. I would say 80% men over the age of 40 is my client. <laughs> um, I have, I have some really great young junior players. I have a handful of kids that are super competitive. I enjoy teaching. I see them on a regular basis for privates and, uh, and then, you know, there, yeah, there's quite a few ladies as well. It's interesting on my Instagram demographics, you know, you can look to see who's following you. I'm 75% men that follow me and 25% women. That's actually the women percentage has grown. It used to be like 10%. Really? So I've grown my female following and I, I contribute to womensgolf.com and I certainly um, try to do things that are rele relevant to women. But the thing that I've, I always have said is I teach golfers. <laughs> I don't teach women. I don't teach men. I just teach golfers. Like it doesn't matter who you are or what age you are, or what shape you are, or what gender you are. You're like, you're making a swing. This is how you're moving. And like, let's figure it out. And you know, if you're, if you have a big chest or you have a big belly or you have a big butt, like, I don't care, whatever, like, how do you move? How do you move? Let's, let's fix it, you know, or yeah. let's make it better. And, and, um, there's just, it's, it's, I don't, I, I never want to be pigeonholed as a women's coach. And that's not to say that I am not an advocate for women's golf. I like, I love to see women's golf grow, but I teach, I teach golfers. Right. And so the fact that there's more men that play this game than women, then respectively, all my followings and all my lessons represent that. 
So let's let's talk about a couple of folks that you that you golf. There's a, a couple I've noticed that you've talked about recently, like on Instagram. Um, one who is also I think he's over at Springfield and we got to play yeah. in the PGA Championship. Larkin Gross. How long you've been working? Yeah, with him? a couple years. So um, hit Larkin Gross and no relation, just total coincidence that his name first name is my last. But um, his girlfriend was our summer intern. They both went to Methodist, and so Paige. Church introduced Larkin to me a couple years ago when he moved to the section to start working as an assistant at Springfield. He was looking for a set of eyes um, after leaving, you know, his college program. He's used to having a coach and he needed somebody in the area. So uh, he came out and within a few weeks, he had like won a couple section events. He had a great first summer and he would come out about once a month or so. We'd, we'd check in on things and I gave him some stuff to work on. And then he went down to the win- to Florida for the winter to uh, play the winter series. And uh, he had qualified for the PGA PNC anyway, through a section championship and then finished in the team of 20 to go to the, to Kiowa. So like all of that happened over the course of the winter into the early spring. And he came, you know, we, we, we checked it. We saw each other before Kiowa, like did a little bit of work, but he was, he had already been playing so well all winter that he was really ready. So um, he played there. I mean, for a, just, you know, 23 year old guy that jumps from just playing in section events and college events, just throw him into a major, like he did, he didn't make the weekend, but he, he, uh, it was a great learning experience. Um, he was disappointed in his performance. He thought he really had a good chance to make the cut. And so that goes to show you too, that he's got high confidence and, uh, he believes in himself and, you know, our, his team, me included, and a bunch of people that are helping him, both his college coaches still in, in the picture and, and, uh, even his colleagues and staff at, at Springfield and so forth, like we're all in it to help, help him get to the next level. So he actually just won the section championship I saw won that. The assistance championship. So he's back in the running for the same kind of cycle going into next spring. So we'll see what happens. He's got stage two corn Ferry tour qualifying in October a lot of exciting things. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of his journey and um, keep him, keep his swing in check. That's my role and motivate, you know, him to, to make sure he's not missing any pieces in other parts of his game and, sure. and so forth. So uh, I, I'm happy to be that resource for him and, and he's become a nice friend and I'm very excited for his success. It's been really fun. He's definitely one to, he seems like he's going to have a, a brighter and brighter future as he progresses. Yeah. And then you, there's another uh, young lady um, who just uh, qualified for the drive chip and putt. Yes. Um, I've been working with the Richowdery family for six years, ever since I got to Creighton. They, they are members at Creighton and they had, uh, they started the girls, two young sisters with me then. And so now Emerson is uh, 12 and a half. She'll be 13 in December and she'll be competing in the 12, 13 national drive chip putt competition in at Augusta in April. And she's somebody that every year plays in the U S kids Pinehurst world championship. And, you know, wow. they've, they've done a lot of competition over the years I've coached them and she's been really close to making it to drive chip putt before, but this is the what? first time she's made it to nationals. What, what is the process like from, from getting from, from Creighton all the way to Augusta? Like does she, is there are several kind of stages of competition to get there? It's for drive chip putt. Yeah. yeah so uh, there was a local qualifier and you have to, I think, finish maybe first or first and second, go to the 
if they call it the sub-regionals. And then from there, I believe just the top finishers go to regionals. So this, she went through three stages of qualifying to then have to win that to go to Augusta. So it's not easy to do. And uh, you have to hit three drives, three chips and three putts. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's a, it's a skills challenge. And, right. uh, and, and it's, tele, it's tele, the last couple of years, they've started televising it right before the masters. Yeah. Oh yeah. They've, they've televised it every year. I've actually had a couple other students participate in it. Um, okay. Yeah. So she's, but hopefully I'll be able to go with, with her. We'll see how, we'll see how it all plays out here over the next few months. And, um, and uh, yeah, it'll be, it would be amazing to be there in person to watch her compete. So and- any other students of yours that you want to either shout out or, or, or let the listeners know they should keep an eye out for? Gosh, um, there's a couple really young ones. I, I posted a little picture of these two young boys from Creighton the other day. And one little guy, Liam Whiffler, is only about nine. And that kid has all the makings to be a tour player, I think, one day. <laughs> what what, what is the name? <laughs> Liam, Liam Whiffler. I'm calling it. I said that to his parents. I'm like, I don't mean to, you know, pump, pump your, pump your tire up too fast, too soon. But like, he is so smart and his golf IQ is off the charts and, you know, he just loves it. You could tell he's dead. He's passionate about golf. And uh, there's another little guy right behind him. A couple of them. There's like this whole little clan of like eight, nine-year-old boys. And you could just see it that they have that camaraderie and they all love it so much and their skills are developing and really good. But, uh, Every now and then you see somebody that you're like, wow, that kid just has it. And so I hope, I hope Liam takes it to that next level because I think he, he could have it, but you know, you don't, you don't know. He, they're so young and they're just getting into competition, but it's just great when you see that raw talent. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's cool. So the last thing I want to ask you about before I'll let, I'll let you go. Uh, I did see on one, I can't remember what maybe it was on one of your YouTube videos because I, we just moved and, and my family's got a nice big yard and I've got my, my, my head is going yeah. crazy with all the things I want to do. And then I see, I watched nice. a video of you, you, you built like a pretty expansive putting green in your backyard. Yeah. So how, we how uh, just live in, oh my gosh, it's 60 by 25 feet. <laughs> it's, it's like sort of long and narrow, but um, it's, it's awesome. So uh, the story there is that through COVID, um, I guess it was, yeah, through COVID, we, we had this idea that uh, what could be, what else could we do with our backyard? It was sort of a low lying area. And we tossed around every idea from putting a small pool there to cleaning it up and doing kind of different things like a bocce court. And then my husband said, why don't we just build a putting green and it would clean the whole area up. And, um, you know, you could do your videos out there. We could have it, we could make it a bocce court when we want to, it could be like a multi-purpose space for us as a family dog friendly so I, I reached out to a couple different vendors and uh, we went with Sinlon. They were great. We used Chesapeake Bay Sinlon. If anybody's out there looking for a great vendor, they're local to obviously our area and they service Northern Virginia, Maryland, the whole thing. So they were great. They came out, they, they um, mapped everything out. We picked the product and we had it all installed. I did a time-lapse on the construction. So if you're interested in like seeing that, you can go to YouTube oh, and see what it's like to build a putting green. What about your kids? I mean, your kids—they've lost—they've lost a portion. There's one of your kids there. I can hear him. That's a puppy dog. Oh goodness. Um, my your kid, kid, your kids are how old? 
My kids are uh, 10 and 13. I have a daughter and a son and um, they, they both play golf. Okay. They both play golf. They don't play competitively. I, I definitely had them involved in like PG Junior League at Creighton with, with the rest of the kiddos that I teach. And we did that for a couple seasons and uh, they did it. <laughs> they didn't love it. Um, not that they didn't <laughs> love the program, but they just, I think golf's not their passion. So when we play as a family, it's fun, uh, but they, they're they not begging to go to the golf course, unfortunately. Maybe that'll change in the future, but they both have their own things that they're into that they'd rather spend their time doing. My daughter's into soccer. My son is is uh, really kind of pursuing like a wrestling track as he go, gets closer to, to his high school days. So he's into like mixed martial arts and stuff like that. So it's and just they fun to see them They didn't mind losing their half their backyard to a putting green? It's funny. Uh, my daughter uses it for soccer practice and my son uh, messes around with friends out there sometimes. And uh, he's more interested in playing paintball behind the putting green than he is playing golf. It's, you know, you don't, it's fine. The last thing I want to do is make them hate golf or, or turn them off to the sport. I think there'll be a time and a place where they already have the basic skills and hopefully they come back around and say, mom, like, let's go, let's go play or, or I'm ready, like help me more with my game. We talked about my son, you know, getting ready to play high school golf. Potentially, if he wanted to play that as a sport, he he could do it if he just applied himself over the next year and and got some rounds in. But um, that's the thing; like, it ha- they have to want to do it. The last thing that I, I want to do is force them to to do something that they don't want to do and then re- and resent me for it. So sure. when they when they find their love for it, I'm here. I'm ready. But they definitely I've done my job. They have the skills. They know how to hit, swing the club and hit the ball. So yeah. They, they know uh, the etiquette of the game. Because uh, last night was the opening season for the Washington Caps uh, in, the, in the NHL and the hockey season, local hockey. You're married to a hockey player, aren't you? Yeah, he played in the minors for five years um, in the Caps organization, got moved oh, really? around a little bit. Yeah, his Very name cool. is Mike Mike Larkin. And um, so he played Hampton Roads and they traded him around for for, for five different years, um, all the way out to California, down to Alabama, Florida. He was all over the place. So, uh, that enough was enough. And then he had retired from that around the time where I met him. So I really didn't know him as a hockey player, but that's a big part of his background. And, and he, um, is now really retired. There definitely does seem to be a, a, a hockey players playing golf kind of a thing. Is, is he pretty good? Golfing? Yeah. He likes golf and he plays, probably plays more than I do. <laughs> um, he, He's, he can hit it far and he, um, he does enjoy the game a lot. He's a, he's a shot maker. He sees all kinds of, you know, all these hero shots that he wants to hit when he's out on the golf course. That's how he plays the game, which is fine and fun. So we have a good, we have a good match. Um, match plays great skins. Great stroke play. Probably not, not our, not our, our game. (laughs) So not his game. I got it. Understood. Uh, well, listen, this has been great. I'll, I will, I will let you go. This is, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time joining the podcast. Congratulations on the spread on golf digest and everything you're doing thank with golf you. digest and all your success and best of luck going forward. Oh, thank you. It's been so nice to talk with you. Hopefully we'll do this again sometime and let me know if you need anything. Okay. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Eric. All right, you guys. Thanks so all much. Right, Bye-bye. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a I'm a regular dude living in D.C. and I want to know about D.C. centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. 
but I want it to be about Beast Golf. 